Funded by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland with the television license fee. The Railway Children. Episode 2 Midland Great Western Railway Station. For several decades, two railway companies were in operation on either side of the River Shannon in Athlone. Historian Gerald O'Brien tells us about a major change which came about in the 1920s. In 1927, they decided to bring the two uh, companies together uh, to operate out of the same railway station, which was the, the Midland Great Western Station on the Connaught side of Athlone, and then that they would uh, close the other station and make it into a good station. So it would have probably been very much involved in farm projects being brought in and out of Athlone, and cattle and various things would have been the, the kind of things that were coming in and out of the town at that time. Uh, also, you would have had, uh, I'm sure, Porter and various other things came down and had to be brought uh, by donkey and cart or pony and cart to the little depots wherever they were around the town. Some other changes occurred around this time. It may be surprising to hear that two tracks once crossed the White Viaduct Bridge. In February 1927, the tracks were removed and one track was placed along the centre of the bridge. When the Great Southern and Western Railway Station closed, the building was sold and became the home of two families, the Duffys and the Browns. Declan Brown remembers his time living there. We were, in actual effect, a private house on the railway line. I was born in what is now the railway station on the Leinster side of Athlone Town, and my father was a signalman with CIE. And I was born there, I lived there, I got married out of there, so I was there for 25 years. There were two families there, there were two houses. If you go to the railway station now, it'll only show one front door, but there were two front doors, separate houses on each side. The Duffy family lived on one side, on the right hand side, and we lived on the left hand side. And we had a wonderful childhood there, it was a wonderful place to live in, because at the back of our house, when you went out the back, it was a platform, and so there was a roof overhead so we could play football, hail, rain or snow, and we had gold marked at each end of us. Wonderful childhood. Was there nice architecture inside, would say? There was lovely work. Uh, the, the ceilings were magnificent. I think the ceiling was something like 20 foot high or something like that. The whole, the whole structure was, was really something. Uh, if anyone now came on holiday to stay in our house, they would never go to sleep because the train would be going under the platform, they'd be going under the roof of the house, and the total noise would be unbelievable. But we were so used to it, never, we, we never heard it. We never heard the train going by or going up and down, you know, because we, we, it was just part of our life. We lived with it. But um, the, it was wonderful, the shunting of the train. That was, that was really something else. There were four or five tracks and they had to move different wagons to different tracks, you know, say the first wagon was going to Galway, 
to move it into the track for the cover uh, the next day where the engine would come and pull it away and the other one. So the driver used letters into the cab. At that time there were big steam engines, so there were big furnace fires in the cab and there were the seats on each side and we were allowed shunt up and down at night time and the driver would let us down and we'd have a cup of tea and they used to fry eggs in the furnace to just put them in the pan and just stick it in and we had a great time. As the area surrounding the building still functioned as a good step or during this time, Declan recalls local businesses operating close to his home. And then there was potato merchants and you went to my house on the right hand side where the bus station is now there was two different potato merchants, Dunning's potato merchant was one of them. So on the site of the bus car park? Yeah, there was potato merchants. Dunning's, you know the house that's on the can you imagine if you come out into the house just on a little slope, that was Dunning's, they were the big potato merchants. That was a huge big potato store, they employed a lot of people. And the farmers would bring in the potatoes and they would divide them up and they had a little machine going around and around with the potatoes on them and they'd be putting them into different bags and they were exported. Yeah. From 1927, the Midland Great Western Railway was operating as the sole passenger station in the town. Mary O'Rourke remembers the station master and his family who lived at the station in the 1940s. Mary O'Rourke has two strings to our bows and this as the minister uh, involved in public enterprise when yeah, the which, which was uh, overseeing CIE and then I lived opposite the old railway station all my young life until I was 12, 13 from when I was born and um, my played with the Lally family who had the, he was the station master and had a big lot of children and Nuna Lally, one of the girls in that family, was my special friend. She was my bridesmaid at my wedding. Yes. Mm. And yeah, lovely. They were a lovely family, the Lallys. Mr Lally was the station master. He was the station master. And their house was the station master's house. It was a beautiful house. When you went in there's a big garden there's no garden there now there's a big garden with apple trees and he used to keep bees in the garden in hives you know and um, they, you went into their house and there was a big stairs upstairs to the bedrooms and the bedrooms opened on to the CIE platform imagine oh my goodness that's yes it wasn't that something and Nuda Daddy's bedroom was onto the platform the railway platform I thought this was so romantic a place to have your bedroom you know and Martin Lally was the name of the station master and he was a lovely man he would wear a hat not a high hat a hard hat and he would patrol or talk about giving attention to his customers he would walk up and down the platform good morning Mrs Brown good morning Mr Brown and your family of where you're going to Galway isn't that lovely and he'd have a word for everyone he was a great station master the Midland Great Western Railway Station is certainly remembered for its grandeur. Jean Farr describes her memories of the station. We went up steps, we went up steps if you were getting a train, and up then there were two platforms, of course, and on the platform nearest to the main road there was this wonderful um, bar, whatever you'd like to call it. It was absolutely beautiful. It had such character, it was like a Victorian waiting room. 
but waiting room is even the wrong word. There was a beautiful fire lit, there was very comfortable sofas, there was a lovely wooden counter, it was a beautiful bar. It was a really, really lovely place. I think people came in and drank there, even who weren't officially going on trains. It was a really, really lovely place, and I bet many a throne people who remember the old railway remember that lovely, perhaps you could call it a restroom, but it was definitely nothing like the barren bear restrooms or waiting rooms to see nowadays. This sold drink and food and there was always a fire lighting and to me as a child it was a beautiful place and I bet many other people remember it. In fact the old railway station was lovely. There was a wonderful bar and restaurant on the CA ran a kind of a, a facility where you could get tea and pints and all that and there was a wonderful woman called Miss Bulford and she ran the bar she was the barkeeper and they did teas and coffees and sandwiches and Miss Bulford's bar because I would be sent over we lived in Gentix and I would be sent over by my mother to tell my father his dinner was ready or his tea was because it was his nearest pub <laughs> so he would go there to have a pint in the evening and he wouldn't be coming home and I'd be sent to root him out so the, the railway station has beautiful designs on uh, inside oh, it's it. It's a lovely railway station. Old-fashioned stone, lots of stone. There was a marvellous man. When you went in the door, there was a big porter's office where parcels were left. If things came on the train for you, they were left into that. There was a wonderful man in it called Pat Duck. His, um, Sean O'Johan is his son, who used to be the principal in Summerhill. Mm-hmm. He was in charge of that delivery depot, I suppose, in modern terms you'd call it. To me, I would be told to go into the car and drive to Pat Duck's place and get the salmon and chickens that would come down from uh, Monaghan, I think the chickens, and the salmon came from Limerick for the weddings in the Hudson Bay. Yeah. At this stage, Mary, you'd moved out to... With we your were family living in Hudson Bay, Bay, yes, yeah. You lived in um, Gentex until I was between 12 and 13. Okay, and then your family we moved, moved out to the Hudson Bay, Bay. At the offices in Gentix. Well, General Textiles had wound down quite a bit at the time. My father had left the position he had had as managing director of General Textiles. He had bought the Hudson Bay, and my mom and dad, and I was the only one left. The rest were either at college or university or gone into the working world. So I went out with them to the House of Bay. Maguire and Mary Murray also have fond memories of the Midland Great Western Railway Station. There was a parcels office, you see, down just as you go in the door of the station, and there was a, uh, there was a Willie Brown, Lord of Mercy, and he was a gentleman. He'd always say when you'd be passing, good morning, Mary, good morning, Jimmy. He was a lovely man. I'll always remember him. In the ticket office where you bought your ticket for the train. Yeah, Miss Rowland. Nancy Nancy Rowland was in it for years. And when you came in the front door, that's where you went over, got your ticket, and then went up the stairs, the, the platforms. And it was nice little room. It was a nice restroom on the platform. And and it was kept very clean. And that time there was porters, like, you know, and everything. Now there's, you know, and the taker cases and all that kind of thing. And it was always kept lovely and clean. And the bookshop was lovely. They had, you know, the great books in it. And then the restaurant where they had three or four girls, they used to serve tea and that kind of thing. And that was a lovely place, too. Dimple and Mary had a unique childhood home, growing up in a house beside the station. Years later, this land became inaccessible due to the building of St. Ruth's Park. The house was 
across from the main railway lines. So we'd have to come down the platform and cross over the lines, the railway lines, to get to our house. You know, which was dangerous enough at the time, but when you're young like that, you don't see any danger or feel any danger at all. And at night time, then, when we grew up a bit further, we'd be going to the dances and we'd be coming home maybe one or two o'clock in the morning and we'd have to get under the wagons. <laughs> but I think of it, it just frightens me now what we did. I mean, the chances we really took under the railway carriages to get her when they were railed, it wasn't, it was really the, the beach was on those wagons and you had the cattle on the wagons, it'd all be you know, shunted up and down and we're getting in order them to get to the house. I mean, when you think of of, 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 of <laughs> the chances we took <laughs> at the time, really and truly. We had a big garden, a huge big garden to the side of the house and then at the very end there was a huge big tree, yeah. big lilac tree. Oh, yeah. And, and then beyond that, that wall was the offices. For the men. For the men that worked on the railway. Well, my, my grandfather was Hugh Maguire from Coulson, and he was a driver on the railway. And my daddy was foreman down on the railway. And your brother Huey? And Huey worked in the office with my father. And did any of the girls work on the railway? Did yeah, you? my sister Teresa, she was worked in the telegraph office. And what's your memories about getting across the line? Well, I know when, when I went out, now, when I was going to school, it was different. I used to cross to, across the line, too. But when I was working then, I used to go, I used to come down. When, when you came in the front of the station, there was a whole lot of beautiful steps. There were lovely new steps all up, and then you came up on the platform. And then I used to come down along the platform, and I used to jump off the platform and cross over the line to the house. That's what we did. We were terrorists. Would you know what time the trains were coming through it? Oh, oh yeah, yeah, we knew the trains. Yeah. And we knew the big, because you see, when we were living there, going to school, like a grown up, they had the big old engines, you know, that you put the fire into, and there were big old engines, and then the new trains came in then, you know, as we grew older. But at the beginning, there was the big old steam engines. Can you remember the sound of them? The oh, yeah, them? yeah, I just remember them and the sound. Should the whole house used to shake when yeah. they passed up and down at night time. Yeah. They were huge. Vera Behan, a former telegraphist at the railway, is a descendant of railway workers on both sides of her family, as well as having long railway ties in her husband's family. Vera describes the station which is situated on the Connacht side of Athlone. My job in the telegraph office, I went to work there in 1950, and it was a very busy place, and you're trying to be really kept on your toes, but it was... Uh, there was four ladies in it along with myself and Miss Leach, Miss Roach, Miss Kerrigan, Peggy Kenny, myself. We had to send messages off to each of the stations and you'd want to be very quick because you had to put in four copies and get her ready and get them all ready for the four different files we had. When you got married you had to leave your job and it was a pity because I'd love to have stayed on. I really would. Do you know Peggy Kenny, you know? The name rings about me. Yeah, she's a lovely person. But anyway, didn't she get back after years? But it wasn't in my time. I, oh, I'd love to have gone back. 
Yeah, I loved it. It was hard going. Can you imagine? There's four of them going as hard as you can and then put on four copies, put them on the different bikes and have them in again and off like hell again. So it was hectic. And if they fell out with you, they'd give you hell out. Just <laughs> <laughs> bang, 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 bang. So say five wagons of sheep and six <laughs> wagons of cattle and all that. And uh, you had to write all that down so that they'd be prepared for like how to deal with it when they'd come there to come to the station. At Lone? Or elsewhere. Could be up in County Meath or someplace like it, yeah. Billy Henshaw began his career in 1942. Call boy. That was one of the earliest jobs I ever did on the railway. And you had to call all the drivers and firemen who were going to work that night and on into the morning up to six o'clock. The reason why you had to call them was that that time clocks, a lot of people hadn't alarm clocks, and then the clocks went wallop and the devil knows what. So to make sure that a driver and a fireman were in, you had to call them, knock at their house an hour before they were due on, on duty. And sometimes the driver would sleep on, and he'd come in, and the first thing he'd say was, the call boy didn't call me. <laughs> and he'd be believed before the call boy. I can assure you that because the drivers were like gods at the time. They were the boss when you got up on the footplate. But some of them now were very good to give you the fireman a hand with all that kind of stuff like breaking over coal and cleaning out the fire. That was a tough job. So what time did you start work at Billy? At one o'clock in the morning, and you worked at nine, one to nine. Uh, you did different jobs as well during the night, steam rising, kept keeping the fires going on the locomotives. There was a big shed in that low on that time, it's not gone now, but that was down near Galvin's Bank, a big huge shed, and all the offices and mess rooms and everything were all there, and the coal bank, everything. The locomotive depot in that loan was all along that wall. That's a big, huge wall on the old Galway Road. Well, uh, the old station in that loan, of course, that was a fabulous place. And, you know, when you think of it, you'd ask yourself sometimes why you did the closet at all. Uh, it was a fabulous station. It was an up platform and a down platform. And when I went to work first, on the up platform, that was the platform you came up the, the stairs onto it. There was a first-class saloon and a third-class saloon on that station. Two different saloons for first-class passengers and for third-class passengers. And the saloons, of course, they served food and drink. And you had another saloon on the down platform, and that was for every kind of a class, <laughs> first, second, and third. <laughs> It hold many happy memories for me because when I started on the railway, that's where I went to work. In a, well, down not actually on the platform, but down to the locomotive uh, shed below, down at the end of the platform. Billy remembers the time before heated trains on the Midland Great Western Railway. There was one particular thing on that platform. There was a big, huge boiler in one of the small houses off the platform, one of the little kind of sheds that was built all up and down at the back of the platform. And this big boiler, 
it was a big square boiler and it held foot uh, foot warmers, yeah. You see, before heating came into the carriages, that would be, we suppose, suppose, in the early 1920s, 30s, I, I don't know actually when the carriages became steam heated. But before the steam heating of the carriages, there was no heat on the carriages, and you could get into a carriage that time, either first or third class carriage, and you could get in of a frosty night, and you'd be you'd be in the very same temperature as you went outside. So the company sold foot warmers to passengers, and it was mostly first class passengers that bought those foot warmers. They got them, I think, it's for a shilling, for a one shilling for a journey, and the foot warmer was an oblong tank. With, with water in it and there was this big boiler and it was always a fire underneath this boiler and the, wa- the boiler would be boiling away and all those oblong tanks full of water were down in the boiling big tank and if some passenger ordered a foot warmer he gave a shilling to the porter the porter put down a hook lifted up this foot warmer and shoved it under the seat in the carriage wherever he was that was before the time of the steam heating and then somebody invented steam heating of carriages and after that then uh, the steam heating came in and what you did was when you backed up to a train and hooked on to a passenger train there was a big steam pipe on the locomotive and you coupled, the fireman got down and you coupled the steam pipe with the steam pipe that was hanging from the carriage. And that went right through the whole train to the very end of the train and you turned on a valve in the locomotive and it got high pressure steam where it went right through and warmed up the carriages. Then there was a, a famous bell on, on the platform. I don't know where that went. It was a big, big bell and the station master at the time he'd go up beside that bell just before a, a passenger train would leave and he'd ring that bell bang like that and in about a quarter of a minute if you didn't join the train the train was gone there was many a person coming down the accommodation road running for a train and they'd hear that bell and they'd know in their heart and soul that again they got to the platform the train was gone We might know where that bell ended up. Stay tuned. Hearing of the magnificence of the Midland Great Western Railway, we ask Irish Rail if we can visit the station. Father and son railway workers, PJ and Damien Milton, gave us a guided tour of the building. You were a train driver at one stage, Damien. Yes, I was indeed. Um, I started the railway in 1995 myself, um, and I went train driving in 1999. Um, and in 2008 I looked for a, a change of direction career and uh, applied for a position in Dublin I was working in Dublin for uh, four and a half years then um, based in, in Shakur and Connolly which is the head office and in 2011 an opportunity arose to come back to Athlone um, so I took up residence in Athlone back in these offices in January 2012 um, and I'm very grateful to it you know, you know the railway I suppose it, um, it reared money as a family around that loan and there was a lot of, a lot of people who work with the railway. This is the station. Yeah. 
Mr. Manager's house, and this is where Mary O'Rourke would have played with her friends. Oh, uh, the Lallies. Yeah. The Lallies, yes. Yeah, yeah. This particular office, what I choose for nowadays, is the control room. Back in the day, uh, I believe this was the old parcel office. Oh! Yes. Yeah. I remember now. Yeah. Now, I want to take this door, this beautiful door. Yeah, so this, this door here, you can see the old, the old parcel office. Yeah. And here was a counter, and people could leave their cases in here and they get, uh, take, you know, the same as and collect it whatever, a few hours right. later. So, just here again, um, which was the old telegraph's office, and it's, it's modern day's office. But, but in the olden days, the people who did the Morse code and the telegraphs, they, this is where they worked. People like Vera Behan in this telegraph office. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah. So <clears throat> we're looking at the steps which are down underneath the railway track on the subway leading to platform one. And then if we were going to platform two and we want to go we would go across. You go down through down through the subway here, which is now which you are in effect going under the track. Yeah. Going under the track here. Um, I can take a walk down. However it's, it's not um, it's boarded up from this end. It looks absolutely, there's a big round dome here as we're coming through. That looks absolutely gorgeous. It must have been. It does look grand, doesn't it? And you can see the grandeur that it was here. I mean, it's closed a long time. In 2001, uh, there was a 150th anniversary train went to Galway, um, which I had the privilege of actually driving the train that particular day. There's um, 165 years uh, since the first train came over that bridge to go to, go to the, uh, Galway. Going to Galway now. You see the signal green. All oh, right, the Just this bringing back memories of the old days. Well, it is, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. And would you ever walk across the White Railway Bridge? Oh, sure, people used to walk. When I flew on the plane in St. Mary's Park on a Sunday, if you see the crowds of people that would be walking, and no one would uh, say anything to them in them days, like, you know, that. And the train could pass you and, and you're on the bridge as well, like. You'd walk on a board and the other end of it, it'd hop up a bit. <laughs> On the next episode of The Railway Children, we speak to railway workers and their families about hard work, good times and fond memories of the railway. The Railway Children Presented by Ursula Ledwith Produced and edited by Amanda Gunning Sound engineer, Kyle McKellen Music by The Beaton Family the contributors to this episode were Garrod O'Brien, Declan Brown, Mary O'Rourke, Jean Coyle Farrell, Dimpin and McGuire, Mary Murray McGuire, 
Vera Harkins Behan, Billy Henshaw, PJ Milton, and Damien Milton. Special thanks to Irish Rail, a flown down memory lane, and a flown community radio. Funded by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland with the television license fee.